Hey, I'm Steve Thull and welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by With Jack. They help keep you in business by supporting you financially or legally if you have problems with a client. Get the freelance insurance you deserve. With monthly plans and zero cancellation fees, a With Jack policy gives you complete control over your protection. Visit withjack.co.uk and be a confident freelancer. And support also comes from Coconut, the one simple app you need to manage your business finances when you're self-employed. With banking, bookkeeping, invoicing and tax all in one place. Free yourself from business admin at getcoconut.com slash being freelance. And right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for technical copywriter John Esperian. It was that or go on the dole queue. You know, I, I couldn't get an interview here in South Wales and my daughter had just been born. I mean, it was kind of make it work or have to go on the dole. And so I, I made it work. Instead of trying to be in five or six places at once, I would just invest all of my social media time learning how one platform worked, be more visible and build a better network in one place. Uh, I've been on a constant march to keep my name in people's minds and keep marketing myself even when I'm busy, which I thankfully am now. Yeah, so there is John, who, as well as being a freelance technical copywriter, is a self-professed LinkedIn nerd. Looking forward to finding out how John has got on with it. How are you? Hope you are well and that 2020 has started good for you. Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is the website where you can find over 200 conversations with freelancers from around the world with the podcast. Make sure you've hit subscribe. If you like what you're listening to, please do consider leaving a review. Most importantly, share it with other people. That will be awesome. Also at beingfreelance.com, you'll find videos and articles and a chance to join the community as well so that you can come and hang out with other freelancers, do live Q&As. We're doing a business book club this year. Our first book is the 12-week year. It says, and I quote, get more done in 12 weeks than others do in 12 months. We'll find out whether it's true and what we think of it when we discuss it. Come join us, be part of that. And also at the website, you'll find details of how you can help support the podcast as well. If this has been helping you in any way, then you can consider buying me coffee and biscuits, be it a one-off or each month. Go take a look anyway. All the details are at beingfreelance.com. You don't need to do that, but I really do appreciate it uh, if you have. So thanks so much. Right, let's do this and chat to this week's guest. That is freelance technical copywriter and LinkedIn nerd, John Espin. Hey, John. Hi there, Steve. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. As ever, let's get started hearing how you got started being freelance. Yeah, sure. Well, I've been freelance technical copywriting for, it's just over 10 years now, actually. I, I used to be a software tester um, for about 10 years. I was made redundant and couldn't get an interview, much less a job. So uh, I decided that I would try and uh, try out my hand in writing content for a living. I spent a lot of time reviewing content in-house and poking it and, you know, saying, this is terrible. I could do a better job. And eventually I, <laughs> I just decided to test test it out for six months to see whether I really could. And thankfully I'm still here. So how did you do that though? Like you weren't a copywriter. For I start. wasn't. I wasn't. No, no. I was, I was a, a tester and a quality assurance person. I was the kind of guy who'd run a team that was listening to people's phone calls and reading their emails and making sure that the company said the right thing. That ah. kind of quality assurance stuff 
but also with a technical aspect of how does this software work? Is this hardware plugged in correctly? Is this Are these instructions clear? And as I said, I, I was made redundant, couldn't get that job. And so I thought I'd use that skill, that skill of explanation to, oh, right. to start creating content for other businesses. And so I used some early contacts from people I had worked with in-house and things spiraled from there. It was enough to sustain me for a few years before I got my website sorted. And um, yeah, as I say, here I am. Let's break that down, though. So did you know that a technical copywriter was a thing then? No, I didn't. Um, I'd read up at the time about technical writing, which is what I initially started calling myself. And that was technical writing is it's really the same as technical copywriting. It's the, it's the process of making things clear and explaining how things work as opposed to pure copywriting, which is most often about sales, but is really about the business of influence. So, so my skill is in educating people and showing thing, how things work as opposed to pushing stuff on you to buy. Um, so I called myself a technical writer for some time, but that lent itself to more heavy work, things like user manuals and massive sprawling website guides. These days I've, I've included copywriter in my title because I'm moving more into the marketing realm of helping people promote their businesses. So technical copywriter was a kind of halfway house and that, that seems to work for me. And so how did you get, you mentioned that you had a few contacts that you'd made yeah. you know, through the years. But how did you get those first jobs when it actually came as being a freelance technical writer? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the first jobs were referrals from friends and family. Uh, and also uh, one of the clients that was linked to my old employer. So that, that that's what got me through probably the first year. Um, that was enough to get, to get uh, the income coming in. And after that, by that time, I'd set up what was a pretty basic website, to be honest, and I placed a few ads. I didn't have social media for the first five years of my business, so it was um, it was a little bit of luck that it kind of worked out and I was able to sustain it long enough before I kind of woke up to the fact of needing to produce content to serve people through Google and, and, and use social media. But uh, yeah, the early days, friends, family, and old contacts from work. Were you calling yourself... Uh, a company name, or were you calling yourself John Esperian? Or? Well, I was I was registered and still am registered as a sole trader as myself, but I use Esperian because it, it sounds as though it could have been a made-up company name. It's such an unusual <laughs> <does>. surname. <laughs> yes. Okay, so so you're... You you use Esperian that's right as like a company name yeah and it's easy for me to get usernames and stuff because no one else has got that surname pretty much <laughs> and uh, it's originally Armenian um, and so the Armenian alphabet it isn't it doesn't use Roman letters it uses a completely different set of characters so that there's no there's not even an approved way of writing it in in the Roman alphabet so um, yeah it's quite unusual. When you were getting started, did you have any knowledge like as running a business? Like, how did you feel about? Oh that no, side of it? none, none, none at all. It's just as I said, it was that or go on the dole queue. You know, I, I couldn't get an interview uh, here in South Wales, and my daughter had just been born, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of make it work or or have to go on the dole. Really, that's what we're talking about, and so I, I made it work. <laughs> 
and this was 10 years ago, were these all remote jobs, I presume? Yes. Um, in the early days, we didn't really use, well, I'd never even heard of Zoom at the time and, and was barely using Skype. So sometimes I'd have to go to someone's factory to learn about how a widget worked or something like that. But in the main, the actual writing work would be done at home. And of course, that, that suited me as I had a you know young child to help uh, look after. So, um, And it's been, it's been more and more that way ever since. And these days, I don't really do any kind of client in-person meetings. Um, everything is done, you know, sort of remotely through Zoom now. So how did your business evolve? So those first few years, it was, you know, barely a website, mostly referrals. What, how did it grow from there? Yeah, well, I mean, the website developed, so I started to get more leads through there. I stopped advertising and I started creating my own content so that I could build um, something of a content footprint uh, for Google to index. But that didn't really happen until about 2014. Um, and it's been building since then. And that, that coincides with about the time that I started to get involved in social media. So I'd set up a Twitter account in 2010, but it was private for the first four years. You know, it, I wasn't really <laughs> sharing any information with anyone. Um, and that didn't seem to, you know, that, that seemed professional, but it wasn't effective in any way. And uh, it, it took until about probably sometime in 2016 when I'd been trying social media, but it hasn't really worked out for me that I decided to loosen up a bit and show a bit more personality in my in my content, but also to invest in just one platform rather than trying to be everywhere. Because until then, I you know I tried Facebook and and Instagram and and Snapchat and Twitter and probably a few others. And none of them were really returning any results. But when I, I got serious about LinkedIn uh, towards the end of 2016, start of 2017, that's when um, things started to work out for me. And then I could stop worrying about so many leads uh, coming in per month. It started to build up from there. Ah, uh, cool. How when you say you got serious about LinkedIn, what did what did you start doing or do differently? Well, uh, getting serious for me means instead of trying to be in five or six places at once, I would just invest all of my social media time in uh, learning how one platform worked, learning its foibles, and how I could be more visible and build a better network in one place. So that that was what really what being serious meant, and. Because my, the, the, the essential nature of my job is explaining how stuff works. And a lot of my clients want complete anonymity. So I can't really talk about their widget or their credit card or whatever it is that I'm writing about. So what I decided to do was to show off my powers of explanation by explaining how LinkedIn works. So as I was learning the platform, I was sharing the stuff that I'd learned. You know, here's a setting for this, or did you know that you can do that? And that got me more views, again, led to more connections. And of course, a small proportion of those those connections decided that, yes, maybe I could explain how their stuff worked too. And, and that's what led to a lot more business. So you were writing on there. Like, were you trying to connect with certain people or, or anything? Was there any? Well, I was. I mean, in the early days, I tried to look for people who ran um, things like engineering businesses, uh, financial services, a kind of sort of typical B2B fair. But often it was it was difficult to find those people. I mean, I connected with a few, but many of them didn't spend much time on social media. And if they did, they fell into the largest group uh, of 
you know, online users, which is lurkers. You know, they're there, they're watching what's going on, but they don't really want to interact much. And if you've got someone who's like that, getting a routine to say hello to them and try and start a conversation is, it can be difficult. You know, it can be like talking to a, a blank wall sometimes. So I did try, um, but it was hard. And I, what I found is because I'm a content creator at heart, it just made more sense to, to, to signal my presence to people by creating content on a consistent basis. And not very much happened when I started doing that, you know, because not very many people knew who I was and I didn't have a big network. But um, after about, let's say, nine months of doing it consistently, things started to pick up a lot. And during those nine months, like, did you think, oh, is this worth me doing it? Or were you just enjoying it? Like, or was that part of the experiment in itself? I well, yeah. I mean, pretty much on a daily basis, I was thinking, when is this th- stuff going to work? But <laughs> in the year before then, I'd invested in studying content marketing. I joined a couple of marketing uh, membership groups. I'd read a few books. And I found that people who had gone down the let's do things organically, let's not pay for ads route, they all took time to establish themselves, to, to be known for one thing in one space. And I'd been interviewed by Mark Schaefer for his book, Known, which came out in 2017. And I think he interviewed something like 70 plus people for that book. And all of them told him that it took them on average about two and a half years to get known. So once I once I'd found that out and understood what content marketing was, it was just a case of having faith that these stories were true and then committing to it in the long term. So, you know, my, my business was already established by then. You know, I wasn't kind of on the breadline, so I, I, could, I could kind of afford to be patient. And I knew that my business was going to be around for some years to come. So I thought, well, I don't really want to go back to scratching around and having to use ads to promote myself. So let's give this content marketing thing uh, a go. And uh, yeah, as I say, not very much happened to start with, but I kind of had that belief that it would eventually. And indeed it did. And each year since then, um, it's been snowballing. That's so good. When, if you think back to that, you know, not so much today, perhaps, but as you were building all of that, what would a week look like for you or a day? I'm just trying to think like how, how you fit in the work that you're doing on LinkedIn with the actual work as well as having a family and so on. Like, how, how did you manage your day and your week? Well, that was tough. Um, yeah, really, really tough, to be honest with you. And there are long hours. There still are. But, I mean, there were particularly long, as, long hours back then because I never expected a client to, 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 to be understanding if I said, you know, look, my, you know, my daughter's had to go to hospital for something or, or whatever. Um, you just kind of knuckle down and do it. So uh, in terms of work-life balance, I don't think I'm – I ever was particularly good at that. Still, I'm not re- now really. I do I do work hard, but then I enjoy the the work that I do. But one interesting thing about this I found is because I I did certainly do a lot of volunteering back in the day, and there was one point where I was volunteering so much that I and my business was was busy enough as well at the time that in uh, 2015 I thought I'm busy with work. I've got my volunteering going on. Um, I'm not going to do my marketing now because I've kind of got things sussed. (laughs) Um, What that meant was that in 2016, the year after, I had my worst year financially because of the result of having stopped my marketing. So at that point, I decided that that would never happen again. And since then, 
Uh, I've been on, on a constant march to to keep my name in people's minds, keep marketing myself, even when I'm busy, which I thankfully am now, um, because I, I don't want to go through what I went through in 2016 again. So how much time would you say you spend daily or, or, or do, I mean, do you do it each day or is it a certain more like a pot of time each week that you spend to the marketing side of things? Well, I mean, if you if you call marketing writing blogs that, that that can be found on Google and having a social media presence, for example, those are my main two routes. Well, I'm kind of thinking about and doing those things on on the daily basis. It's not something I put into my calendar. It's just natural for me to to be there doing those things. And with LinkedIn, um, I'm more of a snacker rather than a kind of hour-long block kind of person. So I'll have something that just stays open in a browser tab throughout the day, and I'll just kind of check in to see what's going on. So it's a bit hard to say how much time I spend on there, but if I, I, I suppose it's sort of between one and two hours a day uh, that, that I would I would class as marketing. That's so interesting that, you know, when you took your foot off the gas marketing-wise, that you saw that, that difference, that lag. Yeah, yeah, and and it you know it lasted most of 2016 to be honest. So it was it was, um, it was a hard thing to recover from, but it was a great lesson, and I'm glad you know I didn't wait till much further down the line before being stung by that. But um, yeah, it's it's one that I, I keep in mind very often, and it's not not a mistake I'll ever make again. And if I get a chance to advise people, I would say invest in your branding and your marketing early on and just stick with it and, and keep sticking with it even if it doesn't look like it's doing anything to start with it it will pay off and if you keep consistent then um i mean it'll pay off in the in the long long future as well mm. you mentioned being part of membership groups how much of that have you done investing in in yourself in that way yeah, I was I was a member of the Content Marketing uh, Academy, which um, actually closed its doors last year. But um, it it led me to going to conferences, meeting more people, getting opportunities to write on blogs that I wouldn't have otherwise, um, appearing in a book that I wouldn't have otherwise, and just taught me the basics of content marketing. So that that kind of knowledge and those connections that I made and that that stuff that I learned. Um, was really, really valuable. So I'm still in another marketing community now called Atomic, which you might have heard of. It's run by Andrew and Pete. And it's good for keeping my hand in, you know, get, get, giving me a chance to go to a, an annual conference and, and learn from others and, and see what other people are doing. So it's um, these kind of things aren't cheap. You know, you, you could, I suppose, just look, buy a load of books and, and do it all yourself. But ha- having community to bounce ideas off having people to support your content when you post something it's kind of nice to have that there in the background I I suppose I'm at the stage now where I guess I know all of the basics um, and it's just a case of keep pushing myself to try and learn more and do better things Mm. and have you obviously you know a lot of what you were creating on LinkedIn was about LinkedIn as you say it was a, a really smart way of showing that you could write and explain when you couldn't show this sort of stuff in your portfolio. But did that lead to quite a substantial audience then who weren't going to hire a technical copywriter? 
Yeah, I suppose it did. But but then also it, it gave me opportunities to start developing LinkedIn services. So I do things like LinkedIn profile reviews and consultations now. And I mean, this year I'm going to be doing a couple of onstage talks and even a LinkedIn in-person training session later in the year. So it has led to a different kind of revenue stream for me as well. But what I found is that building the network the way I have, you know, I, I don't really put sales into my process at all. It's meant that even if people who are benefiting from my LinkedIn knowledge um, don't hire me directly, they're very often uh, the business I get is through referrals from people that they know who would say, you know, that oh, they're running a B2B. I'm, I'm sure they'd be interested in you. I know that you're a good guy. I'm happy to do a warm intro for you. So I've had loads of things like that. And also in the last year in particular, I've had some business owners coming out of the uh, ether and saying, you know, we've been following you for 18 months now, and I think it's about time that we hired you. So that that's, <laughs> that's always really heartening to hear because in those early months, it just seems like, you know, you're just shouting into the wind. But um, those people are there, out there listening and, and, and watching. And eventually, if you stick around in the conversation long enough, then, um, you know, a proportion of them will de-lurk and uh, will be interested in what you've got to to say and sell. So how did that feel when you started to consider creating products and services for the LinkedIn audience that you'd created? Well, this is, to be honest, if, if I wasn't being paid for being on LinkedIn, I think I probably would still want to do it anyway. It feels like a hobby. You know, it's, it's good fun. There's a good community. Um, I'm interested in the way that things work. And LinkedIn is one of those uh, <laughs> uh, weird places where things don't always work the way you expect them to um, it's not as well invested in as Facebook is. So stuff doesn't always work properly. And that's a, an opportunity for a nerd to explain stuff. So it's, it's good fun for me. And, um, and yeah, it, it just came naturally. You know, people were asking for it. You know, I, I need help on so-and-so. And I was answering so many questions that it, it made sense that I could, I could codify that into, well, look, I'll review your profile and tell you the five things that you're doing wrong, which are the same five things that most other people are doing wrong, for example. Um, yeah, just felt natural and, and um, still doing that now. That's great. And did you use a particular process, you know, when it came to managing your time or like do you like jump on a call with them if you're reviewing their thing for example like well i i can do i mean I, what i prefer to do is to review things in my own time if i can do like a recorded video and then send them a password protected link to their uh, to their own review but if someone wants to do a live one-to-one -one consultation with me then i can do that as well and then very often I, I will just keep in touch via direct message or email with those people afterwards to to kind of see what they're doing because I think a lot of a lot of these things are just kind of once and done and and that's often not a good approach for someone who's learning you know that they'll get a load of knowledge from you and then try to apply it and then inevitably they'll they'll come across some problems and want to have someone that they can lean on for help and that's um Helping people is really the root of uh, what I like to do. So those consultations often lead to long-term relationships and, and help after the fact as well. Yeah, I like that. But so much of it comes from helping. Don't you have a – is not is it relentlessly helpful? Isn't that mm. your – I love that. that that's a, Yes, that, that was a seminal moment in my business, actually. I was on stage at one of these marketing events that I was talking about earlier. And, uh, you know, there was a, the last question of the day was, how are you going to remain – um, superior and relevant and they hadn't prepped me for that question at all and it just came out of my mouth I said oh, I'm going to produce relentlessly helpful content and that 
that just those words just stuck with me afterwards and I started using them in my marketing and all of a sudden I, I noticed people echoing it back to me which I'd never expected and had never happened to me before um, and it's almost like a you know the line from a song that, that someone remembers and repeats back to you and people say it to me on a daily now so it's um, that's been fantastically good in, in helping people remember something about me. If you can get a hook like that into your own business, something that's four or five words long, that is almost like a calling card, uh, you know, a hook from a song that someone could say about you. Uh, has to be like a stock cube. Really. You've got to try and compress all of the good stuff about you into one short, neat phrase. It's not easy. But if you can do that, then um, that's enormously powerful as a calling card. Speaking of calling cards, you've created one of the, you know, the ultimate ones. You've been writing a book, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, and it's coming out in April. So that's Content DNA. Um, that is based on the, the information, the, the help, the guidance that I give to my copywriting clients, which is whenever they come to me, essentially, they think we're paying for someone to put a load of words on our website. And actually, I try and take a step back with those clients and say to them, what is the DNA of your business? What four or five things do you really stand for? What one thing ties all of that together? What's your place in the world so that we can work out how to present this information? Um, and then it's a case of taking that shape that we define for the business and applying it consistently in, in every space, in every social media post, in every blog post throughout the website. We put that stamp, that same shape everywhere. And then it's just a case of doing that on a consistent basis so that people, um, you know, come to recognize and remember who you are. So the whole book is based on this idea of congruence, the same shape and consistency, sticking at it for long enough. And that is the route I've found over the last decade to, to being noticed and remembered and preferred. Ah, uh, nice. How did you find the writing process? I mean, I know you're a writer, but... <laughs> yeah, so it, well, everyone who's written a book that I know said it's it's going to be harder work than you think, and they were right. Um, I was only able to really make time for this on weekends because obviously I had the day job to get on with. Um, so that took about 18 months um, of writing. I have finished writing now, and I'm expecting, in fact, I'm getting the manuscript back from my editor in a few days' time. So we'll see how good or otherwise it is. Um, but my beta readers um, have been giving me some very good feedback. So that's encouraging. But yeah, it was, it was, I would say 18 months with work being done on weekends. And most of those weekends were busy with me either thinking about something to write or editing something I'd already written. And uh, yeah, so that that's produced a manuscript that's um, a little bit over 50,000 words. So it's going to be about 200 pages. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. When you say you were writing at the weekend, like how much time would you be able to give it at a weekend? Ooh, probably maybe four hours over the weekend, something like that. Right. It, well, it, I couldn't really, I was too, I'd be too tired to write any more than that. It, it does take some time. And then often sort of during idle moments during the week, you're thinking about, oh, should I have said that? Or maybe there's, here's a source I found that I could add to it. So it's never really very far away from mine, to be honest. But uh, yeah, so it was a bit of a challenge. I'm sure it would have been much harder if I wasn't a professional writer. So um, the actual writing process wasn't always that that difficult to you know stab the keys. But um, the, the the constant need to think about it was, um, I, I guess, was a bit of a drain. But I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, change anything to be honest, because I think I'm I'm pretty proud of the result that it's produced. 
you know, it feels to me like so creating a piece of content is one thing and then promoting it is almost like another. I find that with a podcast, you've just created this massive book. Yes. Yeah, doing the marketing for the book I think won't won't be a challenge for me at all. I've I've tried to do as much of the the writing of this in public. You know, I've every time I make a well, not every time, but most times that I make a LinkedIn post, it's related to some sort of idea that I've put in the book or I'm thinking about putting in the book. And so uh, judging people's feedback means I, I know what's going to work. I know what snippets I can take back out and then share later on. I've been sharing the the process of self-publishing that I've been going through, which I didn't really know anything about before. Um, and, um, you know, later later this month I'll be sharing um, a, a, you know, a complete chapter of the book for free with my email subscribers. And I'm also recording the audio book. So uh, I'll be sharing a free chapter with that. So I, I'm trying to do it as, as transparently as I can. And, and um, sharing snippets about the book is um, in, in order to market it has, hasn't been a problem at all. It's one of the most fun bits, to be honest. And you mentioned that you did a talk about LinkedIn. Yes. What intrigued me even more, you know, quite a few people, they, they end up giving us a talk, was what I saw you doing afterwards with that talk. Yeah. So I was invited to speak at uh, Cambridge Social Media Day and I prepped a LinkedIn talk uh, for that session, which which ended up uh, being only 45 minutes long. But I've, I've, during my planning, I had about three hours worth of content that I could have gone into. And so after, after the talk, and because the talk wasn't video recorded, I thought, well, I'd like to share this with more people. Um, so I came home and kind of did a, an extended version, if you like, and split it up into three chunks. And then I uploaded it as a a, a private video on on Vimeo and started selling it. So um, I thought there would be enough value to to put out. You know, we're talking about 79 minutes of content in total. It was not the kind of thing I wanted to dump on YouTube as a freebie and and let people have at it. Um, So, yes, I, I, um, I, I planned it, extended it, recorded it in chunks, uploaded it, and... I'm now selling it. So so people who don't want to shell out for a full consultation or a profile review can can kind of educate themselves by buying the talk and, and getting up to speed themselves. I see. I, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a thing which you've seen done plenty of times, but I'd, personally, I've never seen it done before. And when I, I know how much effort goes into creating a talk in the first place, that to I know, I guess, get the most out of all that work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I had. I don't think I've seen it done before either, but I wanted to share that content somehow. Yeah. And it, this felt like a natural way to do it. So, yeah, it's probably earned me about 2,000 quid having done that. So it was worth <laughs> it. was worth Yeah, it took me about a day to do the recordings and uploadings and stuff like that. So it was certainly worth the effort. That's so cool. And it was on like a private Vimeo. Yeah, when when you've got a Vimeo Pro account, you know, you've got public videos, private videos, but there's also a video on demand option. So you just select that for your videos, uh, create a free trailer to, to advertise it, set your price and off you go. And I know you did that because, you know, as you say, you you learn in public, you wrote about doing that yeah i mean i think that's one of the most interesting kinds of content to be honest is is when you don't know it yourself the best way to 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 get to know it is to try to explain it to others and if you can do that as you're going along there's kind of something 
I don't know if it's exciting, but there's something real about doing that. You know, I'm not trying to fool anyone. I'm saying I'm not sure how this works, but this is what I want to do. And here, look at me, I'm doing it. You know, I'll fill in the gaps afterwards kind of thing. So, um, so yes, I, I like to do a lot of that kind of content. And this one seems to have worked pretty well. Let's just go back to the actual freelance technical copywriting. Because okay. as you say, there's like two sides to your business now. Yeah. Has that evolved at all over the past few years as you've grown in, I guess, experience, confidence, both in what you're doing, but also in terms of business? Like how, how has that changed? Yeah, I mean, I've certainly grown in confidence and experience of that. So I can now, when a customer comes to me, I can tell them, you know, look, we're going to start with these 12 briefing questions. I'm going to need to speak to a subject matter expert via, uh, you know, an online chat so we can get to the root of what you want to say. Um, here's what a draft post would look like. Uh, here are my timescales. I can be confident about all of those things. Also, I, I publish my prices online. So it's not, there's nothing, there's no hiding place for any of that. If you want to find out how much I charge, just look straight up a pricing page. Um, so, uh, so all of that stuff, all of my processes there are pretty well nailed down. Um, the only challenge I have really around that is because I've got so many NDAs for the bigger clients. Um, it means that I can't, you know, I can't do that kind of classic strip of really high profile client names in, in logos on, on my website. I can do some of them, but most of the bigger boys don't want to be named. And that's, that's frustrating because it means that I can't, I probably can't maybe grow as much as I could if I could name who they were, but you know, that's what privacy gets you, I guess. Um, and my day-to-day work has shifted more towards the marketing end than towards the techie end. The techie end, even though that's where I started, you know, I started with a computer science degree, uh, doesn't really appeal to me as much. I, I, I prefer the kind of marketing and branding side of things more these days. And that ties in well with promoting yourself on on social media, particularly LinkedIn. So it kind of it ties in that I would write more of that kind of stuff. And so I've started to be asked to write things like short social media updates and short LinkedIn articles, as opposed to 300-page user manual for a remote control or or, or whatever. Mm. It's interesting you said about you know having your prices on your website. Is that something that you'd always done, or no. that you've added recently? And what difference no. did it make? No. So again, that that came back to me studying content marketing in 2016 and learning that, which seems so obvious now, that the number one question that clients ask is around pricing. And to save myself replying to people one-on-one through email um, or potentially, you know, putting people off because if they can't see a price, they might just move on. I thought, well, let me just put my prices out there. Um, And so I did, and it led to a lot more business. So I'm very glad that I did that. I wish I'd done it sooner, to be honest. Um, I know a lot of people are, you know, there are various reasons why people are um, reticent to do that, hesitant. you know, they want to charge different prices to different people or, or they're, they're worried that their competitors will find out, which is a, uh, that's a definitely a phantom worry. But yeah, certainly in my case, I think just being transparent and telling people what I would have told them by email anyway, upfront means I get fewer time wasters and I can get on with other more interesting things instead of answering such questions. <laughs> and when it comes to price increases is i mean obviously we're recording this in january and there's a lot of chat about pricing at the moment around um 
How have you upped your rates over the years? Well, I, I did something very, very stupid in the early years of my business, which is I held my rates steady for about five years. And I, I have no idea why, in retrospect, I did that. I'm trying to be nice, I guess. It didn't really help anyone, certainly not me. <laughs> um, so it, probably around 2017 was when I, I got serious about I'm going to do a price rise. In fact, I was going to do two price rises a year from that point onwards, and that's what I've been doing. Um, haven't done one at the start of 2020, but then I think I'm going to probably wait until my book comes out, and fingers crossed there'll be an uptick in interest, and then maybe I can be even more choosy with my clients and pricing after that. You eventually ended up putting them up twice a year. Yeah. Yeah, I did did one early in the year and one late in the year. Do you have a lot of recurring clients? No, I don't actually. Um, and one of the reasons I think uh, that is the case is because sometimes I'm commissioned to write uh, two or three blog posts, for example, for a techie business. I get to know them. I tell them my kind of content DNA formula. Um, I write my content and then put loads of notes in the side so that they they kind of learn the process. And after that, they can fly alone. So maybe I'm doing myself a disservice. But often I find that clients either have, you know, a request for a one-off website, right? You know, we need eight pages for this new build uh, and it's a discrete project and then you don't really hear from them again. Or we have got something ongoing, but we, we need a few blog posts to get us started. And then, of course, once they've, once they've seen what I do, they kind of... Um, run off and try to mimic that so uh, a lot of the work actually isn't um, recurring I would like more of it to be but it hasn't really worked out that way and because I, I'm I've been a generalist actually for a long time it means that um, I've worked in such bizarre weird industries you know from credit cards to luxury handbags and uh, you know boiler installations a lot of these people don't sort of mix in the same groups or talk to each other about who they use for what what have you. And because it's all wrapped up in anonymity, it's often the case that you, you just wouldn't get mentioned at all. So um, a lot of it is just tends to be new business. But that, that's fine because, you know, I've still got interest coming in. So it's all good for now, thankfully. I guess that must also help when it comes to putting up rates, though, because it's not like you have to have a conversation with a regular client it's just it's fair on your page it's gone yes up yeah that's true and and i know from you know the, the professional copywriters network do uh, an annual survey of what the average copywriting prices are and i know for example that i mean the, the 2020 survey hasn't come out yet but for 2019 i think the average day rate for copywriters is about 350 pounds a day so i know that i'm about 100 pounds a day more expensive than that but then i know other copywriters who are more than double what i charge so in the grand scale of things, it, you know, my, my prices might be too rich for some people's blood, but I know that there's money, must be money out there for people who are willing to pay a bit more for, um, you know, but my decade plus of experience. So Yeah, it's it's interesting as well, but you, you described yourself as a generalist when from the very beginning, it felt like by describing yourself as a technical writer, a technical copywriter, you, you had certainly a niche of writing Yes. I mean, yes, I, there's, there's multiple categories, aren't there? It's, com it's, commercial, it's commercial writing at one extent, and then you, you drill down into technical writing. But then the, the, there are so many potential things you could do. In you know, I could be a, a technical writer in aerospace. I could be a technical writer in financial services. Have you ever been tempted to narrow down? I, 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 well, that's, in fact, that's exactly what I tried to do when I first went freelance, which is to say that I would work in IT, 
because that you know I'd just been doing that for ten years, and it seemed to make sense. Um, but weirdly, they they didn't really seem to be any specific interest um, from the clients who were approaching me anyway. And so I just really took on what I could to pay the bills, and that that meant I became more of a, a generalist, and that's never really gone away. If I were to start now given how saturated social media and, and Google search rankings are, then I'd very much want to have, um, I'd very much want to have a niche. So um, now, now, thankfully, 10 years on, I've got a personal brand that's relentlessly helpful and people kind of know me on LinkedIn as being this helpful copywriter and that's enough to sustain me. But if I was starting again, I definitely want to drill down a bit further than just technical copywriting. Now, John, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make yeah. two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? <laughs> All right. Well, the first one then is that I voted 162 times by phone for Leona Lewis to win X Factor season three. <laughs> Glad you like that one. Um, I gave up smoking and drinking when my daughter was born 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the third one is that my full title is Lord John Esperian of Hogan Manor. Whoa. So what? Lord John Esperian of what? Of Hogan Manor. It's in the Lake District. Really? It's such a shame that you weren't in Downton Abbey. (laughs) No, I'm gutter trash, really. I I couldn't possibly carry off that kind of accent. Is this like somebody bought you a lordship just like somebody can buy you a piece of the moon or whatever like <laughs> or a star named after you 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 might be onto something there right but i've never met somebody who actually has one of those do you have like a certificate i do indeed in theory is there like i don't know a, a meter of land in the lake district which is yours yes i have five square really? feet of land have you visited it i haven't been to the lake district before so no i haven't visited oh, it yet oh come Right, you're saying you voted for Leona Lewis. Keep bleeding, keep, keep bleeding. 162 times. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear about your musical knowledge, yes. I mean, that's back when you had to use a phone vote. Uh, what did that cost you? I was uh, a software and hardware tester in my previous life, of course. And um, at the time, I would have been uh, testing an internet phone product. And uh, using perhaps some some free credit. So so you had free credit on a phone. All the power that was in your hand, instead of phoning Australia, you (laughs) voted for Leona Lewis 162 times. Indeed. I regret none of those votes. Did you buy her first single when it came out? I didn't, no. So after all of that, you didn't even buy her single? Nope. Uh, Anyway, right. And then what was it? Oh, smoking and drinking. Yeah, I gave up smoking and drinking 10 years ago when my daughter was born. Okay, the smoking and the drinking, to be honest, sounds true. I can't understand why even if he had free credit, you would keep voting for Leona Lewis. The bare hatred for Lewis here, I think, is disgusting, to be honest. (laughs) What? The what? Just just not enough respect for Lewis, I think. (laughs) Okay. But that means that the only reason I think Lord John Asperian of Hogan Manor is a lie is because you didn't go and visit the piece of land. That feels to me like the lie because I would have to go and visit it and have a picture of me in like a cravat or something standing on there, maybe a bowler hat and a cane looking down at some peasants. So therefore, I'm saying you are not Lord John Asperian yet. Oh, well, good try. But no, you're wrong, I'm afraid. (laughs) I am Lord John Asperian of Hogan Manor. It cost me £25, but I've got the certificate. It cost you? So it wasn't a present? No, I bought it myself. Amazing! 
amazing. So that means, I'm presuming, then you didn't vote for Leona Lewis. No, I did vote for Leona Lewis. So you didn't give up smoking and drinking? <laughs> well, oh my God. that one is the lie. I've never smoked. And in fact, I gave up drinking um, when I was diagnosed with gout, which was 2001. So a lot longer ago than that. Amazing facts. Um, thank you. Okay, Lord Esperian, before we go, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Oh, invest in your personal brand much, much sooner, I think, really. That's a big mistake that I made. I took too long to get involved in the conversation and too long to define who I was and trying to be um, in the public sphere. So I would have just got my personal brand sorted and just got involved in, in building a, a better social presence much more sooner. John, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com, click through. There will be links so that you can go and say hi to John and find what he's up to online. And when it's out, go check out it. Well, in fact, you can go check out his book already. But obviously, uh, if you're listening to this in the future, it will already be out. And if you're listening to this way in the future, uh, then hopefully Lord Asperian has taken up his seat in the House of Lords <laughs> here in the UK. If you're at beingfreelance.com, while you're there, don't forget to check out the other episodes. There's over 200 guests. Whatever they do for a living, make sure you have a listen because it's all about the being freelance. Uh, there's also the other podcast I do, Doing It For The Kids, for freelance parents. So if you're a freelancing parent uh, like myself or like John, for that matter, then please go listen to that. It's called Doing It For The Kids. And come join us in the community as well. The links are all at beingfreelance.com. But for now, John, thank you so much. Really lovely chatting to you and all the best being freelance. Nice one. Cheers for having me, Steve. Cheers. Cheers.